All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad you are here. Uh, Many of you are watching this on video at our 15th Street campus, and some of you are wondering why that is. As I shared a month ago, our vision is to be a church with two thriving campuses, 15th Street and West Campus. The reality is our 15th Street facility is pretty much maxed out in terms of our ability to continue to grow and reach more people, which is why a year ago we launched our West Campus as a way to strategically enable our church to continue to impact more people's lives. That's our heartbeat. We want more people to experience Jesus. In a very real sense, our church exists primarily for the sake of those who don't yet attend our church. We want to provide opportunities for as many people as possible to experience Jesus. And so in order to do that effectively, we have aligned our two campuses so that our worship services at 15th Street and West are identical. Same music, same children's ministry, same teaching. And technology is what enables that to happen. With the high-quality video available today, both campuses can experience the same teaching on a weekend. Now, in order for me to be able to consistently connect with people at both campuses, I'm going to be preaching live at our West Campus about once a month. And this weekend is one of those weekends when I'm live out West and you at 15th Street on Sunday morning are watching on video. Now, as I mentioned the first time we did this, I realized that some of you may, for some of you, this may feel like an unwelcome change. You are comfortable with live teaching and hadn't imagined that ever changing. I get that. I totally get that. But let me encourage you to remember that our motivation is to help more people experience the gospel. And sometimes that means putting the needs of others before our own preferences, realizing that this is not about me It's about God. And so on those Sunday mornings, uh, once a month, when you come here and you find out the message is on video, and maybe you're not very excited about that, I want to encourage you to remind yourself that because you are watching on video, more people will get to hear this message. And that's really cool. So thank you, Christ Community, for being a church that's willing to put the needs of others before our own needs. Speaking of that, I wanted to give an update on our Gospel Unleashed Hope Renewed journey, which is a year-long initiative to unleash compassion and church planning and leadership, uh, leadership development locally and around the world. It's very exciting. So far, we have had 270 commitment cards, pledge cards turned in, totaling about $385,000, so which is a great start. We are, we are over halfway to our goal. So thank you so much for those of you who have made pledges to this endeavor. I'm so grateful for your generosity. Now, we realize that because of the snow a couple weeks ago and life and all that stuff, there are a number of you who are intending to give, but you have not yet turned in a card. And there are also a number of you who were already giving to Gospel Unleashed. You've been giving, and you're just kind of planning on continuing that, which is awesome. But we would really appreciate it if you could turn in a card and let us know what your pledge is going to be this coming year. We're needing to make some resourcing decisions based on commitments. Um, So if you could turn that in as soon as possible, that would be great. 
uh, you can go online or you can get a card in the lobby um, and, and, and uh, do it there. Okay, if you have your Bible or smartphone or tablet or whatever, feel free to turn to Joshua chapter 6. We are in the midst of a teaching series in which we're talking about how we can be strong and courageous in the midst of the challenges of life. Every one of us has challenges that we are facing, whether financial or relational or spiritual. And it's easy to get discouraged in the midst of that. We feel like giving up. But the story of Joshua reminds us that even in the midst of challenges, we can be strong and courageous. We can move forward in faith. The question is, how do we do that? What are some of the keys to a strong and courageous lifestyle? Well, that's what we're talking about in this series. Last week, Pastor KJ talked about Joshua 6, where the Israelites faced a very difficult challenge in the the Battle of Jericho. And God miraculously provided victory. But there is an underlying theme in the battle of Jericho that we dare not miss. And it becomes evident in chapter 7. This, this battle was not simply about taking the city. There is a foundational heart issue that God is focusing on. There is something substantial God wants established in the hearts of his people. And the Jericho experience becomes a laboratory for this lesson to be learned. Not only for them, but also for us. As we're going to see, this one issue we're talking about here, this one issue can derail our ability to be strong and courageous. It can bring lots of trouble into our lives. So in order to discover what this foundational heart issue is, we have to go back again initially here to chapter 6, right before the Israelites shout and the walls of Jericho come down, beginning in verse 16 of Joshua 6. Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Okay, so notice how in the midst of their conquering of Jericho, there is a heart issue. Before they even go in, there is a heart issue that God wants to deal with. God is going to give them the city. And within the city are lots of nice things to own. Lots of nice things to have. Things like silver and gold and beautiful clothing. I mean, usually a conquering army would start plundering and taking this stuff for themselves. But as as we just saw, God makes a very specific declaration before the people ever enter into Jericho. God declares that everything in the city is devoted to him. Verse 17, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. What does that mean? This idea of devoted things is a concept that we're introduced to earlier in the Old Testament, where in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 27, we read about how someone can devote something to the Lord. What that means is is that that thing, whatever it is, is surrendered to the Lord. It now belongs to him. This person chooses to set this apart for the Lord. So it is devoted 
to him. That's the way it's described in Leviticus. Same language here in Joshua 6. That's the concept. But in Joshua 6, this concept of devoted things is taken to a whole new level. In this passage, God declares that everything in this city is to be devoted to him. It belongs to him. Every piece of silver, every gold chalice, everything belongs to him. Now, this is a bit unusual. Usually, as we're going to see, in fu- as you can see in future battles in Joshua, God lets the people, he lets his people take for themselves the, the, the plunder, all these things as plunder. But in this battle, this first battle, God wants to establish in the hearts of his people a very important truth. Everything is his. Everything is his. Everything belongs to him. It is his. I mean, what a, what a critically important and life-changing truth for us to embrace in our hearts. Everything is his. Everything you own, every relationship in your life, every breath you take is ultimately his. It belongs to him. David understood this principle. He writes in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Or what about Paul in the New Testament? He articulates a similar thought as it relates to our physical bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Everything is his. This is a foundational truth that God wants us to live in and embrace. This truth can help us be strong and courageous. It can help us face our fears. I mean, think about what often causes fear in our lives. I know in my own life, fear often arises in my own life. Fear often arises when I try and take ownership of something that's not mine to own. I want to be in control of something that is not in my control. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had this awesome weekend of services planned for Gospel Unleashed, Hope Renewed. I was all set to cast this vision and to call people to pray and to give to this exciting adventure. So on Thursday... I start to check out the weather forecast for that particular weekend in a few days, and I notice snow was supposed to hit Saturday afternoon and go all the way through Monday morning. And I'm like, no, Lord, not this weekend. That's going to kill our attendance. We'll never reach our financial goal. What are we going to do then? See, I mean, that's where my heart was going. Fear over things I couldn't control, but I was trying to. So as I was in my office there, looking over my message, walking through my message with the window, the blinds open so I could see what was happening. It was about 2.30 Saturday afternoon, and that storm, as you know, it hit with a vengeance. And as that's happening, I I had to come to this point of saying, everything is God's. Everything is God's. This church, this vision, it's his. God wants us to get this. He wants us to live according to this principle of devoted things, to live with open hands, realizing everything is his. Okay, so as the Israelites are preparing for this first battle, God declared that everything in Jericho was a devoted thing. Everything was his. 
So how did they do in this devoted thing laboratory? Well, let's find out. We find out in chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Okay, so so in the midst of the defeat of Jericho, all this devoted plunder was being gathered for the Lord's treasury. In the midst of all that happening, as all this is being gathered, this this ordinary guy named named Achan decided to keep some for himself. Now, why did he do that? Well, jumping ahead to verse 20, when Achan's sin is discovered, we learn exactly what happened. He tells us in his own words. Here's his confession, verse 21. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent. Notice how Achan's heart got derailed. He describes exactly what happened. I saw, I coveted, in other words, I wanted, and then I took. That's what happened. That's how this devoted thing, this huge principle here, this devoted thing principle, that's how it got derailed. I mean, going into Jericho, going into Jericho, Achan, like everyone else, was totally on board with this idea that everything belongs to God. Everything is God's. Everything is God's. Oh, but look at this robe from Babylonia. Wouldn't that look great in my closet? And wouldn't that silver and gold be really awesome in my bank account? We could go on a vacation, that vacation my wife has been wanting. We could get that new camel or whatever, right? He, he saw, he wanted, and then he took. This was no small issue, even though he thought it was. It was no small issue. Because remember, what he took was something that belonged to God. It was devoted to God. This was a huge test that God was placing before his people. He knew, he knew they were going to be handling all sorts of nice things and that they would be tempted to take these things for themselves, right? And so, so what, what was God ultimately after here? Think about this. What was God ultimately after by, by giving this pronouncement of devoted things? Their trust, Their trust, I mean, the trust, right? He wanted them to trust him. He wanted them to realize in their hearts, God is enough for me. God is enough for me. All this stuff is really nice. It's really nice. But ultimately, all I really need is him. He has provided everything I need and more. I can trust him. That's what God was after. That's what God wanted Achan to realize and to embrace, that everything is God's, and when I have God, I have everything I need. Say that with me. This is the key of this passage, right? Say it with me. Everything is God's. And when I have God, I have everything I need. See, that's what God wants for each one of us. That's the truth he wants to establish and get rooted in our hearts. Everything is his. And when I have him, I have everything I need. Achan's heart got derailed 
by the same thing that derails us. Coveting. We see things we don't have. And we think, boy, our lives would be so much better if we just had that. Whatever that is. That car or that job or that spouse or that face or that computer. Whatever. We, we see, we covet, and then we try to make that thing our own. Now, underneath this whole coveting thing is a heart issue. There is a core lie we're believing. When we covet like this and we take, there's a core lie we're believing. Here, here's the lie. It's the lie that God is not enough. That God is not enough. In God, I don't have everything I need. I need God plus this other thing in order for my life to be complete and happy. This is the lie that, that tripped up Achan, right? You know what? Go back a little further. This is the lie that got this whole mess started in the Garden of Eden, right? Eve saw, this text says, you can look there later, Genesis 3, she saw the forbidden fruit, that it was desirable for wisdom. She wanted she determined in that moment that God wasn't enough for her. She needed this other thing, something he had commanded her to, to avoid, but she saw, she took, and she ate. In both of these situations, this one lie, this one core belief resulted in unbelievable trouble and destruction being unleashed. We, we know how that happened in, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, we know that. But what about Achan? What, what results from Achan's action? Well, what we discover is that Achan was mistaken, okay? Achan was mistaken. That one decision brought trouble, not only into his, his own life, it brought horrible destruction upon his family and upon the entire nation. So what happens is, after the victory at Jericho, they, they won, great victory at Jericho, Joshua, who has no idea what Achan has done, Joshua starts laying out plans to go after the next city in the promised land, the city of Ai. And so he sends some scouts to check out the situation, to check out this city. And they come back saying, oh, this is a piece of cake. This is going to be so easy compared to Jericho. No problem. Ai is a small city. We could easily take it. In fact, we only need like 3,000 people. We only need 3,000 fighting men to take this city. So Joshua's great. Let's do it. So he sends 3,000 men to take Ai. But instead of defeating Ai, they got thrashed. The Israelites got thrashed. 36 of them die. 36 of the Israelites die. And the rest are just running for their lives. Now look, look at the people's response to this, as you can imagine, verse 5. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. See, they don't know what's going on. I mean, God had promised to give them this land. He had promised this. And they just got defeated. They just got crushed by this little city. So they're, they're in fear. They don't know what's going on. Joshua is beside himself. So he, he falls face down before the Lord, and he just pours out his heart. God, what are you doing? This wasn't in the plan. He goes on and on and on. And God listens for a while, and then finally God speaks. Verse 10 to 13, stand up. What are you doing on your face? God says to Joshua, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. 
They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possession. This is why, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people, tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Suddenly, everything is clearer. They now understand that the reason for their defeat at Ai was directly related to an act of disobedience. Someone has taken, someone had taken for themselves things that were to be devoted to the Lord. And this willful act of rebellion had caused God to remove his presence and his power from his people. So now they know why, but they don't know who. They don't know who had done this. Well, the next day, through a divine process, the person is revealed as Achan. He admits that he has sinned against the Lord and done this. He then explains what we looked at earlier, how he saw, how he wanted this Babylonian robe and gold and silver. He wanted these things and he took them. So Joshua sends messengers to Achan's tent and and, and they discover these devoted things, just as, as Achan said, and they bring them back to Joshua along with Achan's family, Achan and his family. Joshua 7, verse 25, Joshua said, why have you brought trouble on us? Achan's covetousness had caused trouble for Israel. 36 of them had died in battle because of it. Fear had now gripped the hearts of all the people because of it. And now Achan's family, Achan's entire family was going to be destroyed because of it. The entire nation of Israel stoned him and his family to death and heaped a large pile of stones on top of Achan's remains. Then we read in verse 26, Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. The word Achor means trouble. The Valley of Trouble. That's what they named this valley, the Valley of Trouble. I mean, quite a legacy that Achan leaves. A legacy of trouble. All because of a decision to take for himself some things that were devoted to God. Things that were set apart for God. Things that belonged to God. Now there's a part of us that hears this account. You can read it for yourself if you want later, certain elements of it. But we read this, we hear this, and we're sort of offended by it. It kind of upsets our sensibilities. I mean, why this violent death for Achan and his wife and children? And, and why does God seem to be encouraging this? I mean, his, ang- he, his anger actually turns away because of this, right? So what is, what is happening here? His anger turns away because of what happens, and then God seems to be encouraging this punishment. So what's happening here? And how are we to understand this through a 21st century lens? That's the challenge. I mean, this event, we've got to understand this event occurred in a radically different culture than ours. 
in a society where violence like this was the way things were dealt with. Often, as modern people, as we modern people look at these passages, often modern people look at these passages and conclude that God, the God of the Old Testament, was not very nice, and he was very different than the God of the New Testament. But that's not the case. What we see in these passages is a God who is working within the culture of the day in order to accomplish a much bigger plan, a plan that we are privy to because we live on the other side of the cross of Jesus, right? We've got to understand there is a trajectory to the way God deals with his people in the Old Testament that points to something better. It's not that God has changed, but his plan is unfolding in the midst of a very primitive and violent culture. And in each of the cultures found throughout Scripture, God is communicating eternal truth. In this story, God is communicating eternal truth to us. But it's easy for us to miss the eternal truth. Why? Because we get so focused on the violence. It upsets our 21st century sensibilities. But you see, I believe, I believe this story should upset our sensibilities, but not for the reasons we typically give. Here's the reason this story should bother us. Every one of us is just like Achan. Every one of us is just like Achan. That's why this story should bother us. It's because every one of us regularly grasps hold of devoted things, things that belong to the Lord. And we live as though they belong to us. We set our heart on things. We covet things. And then we take them and keep them as if they are ours, when in reality, they are not ours. Now, I'm going to give a really practical example, because maybe think, I don't know, how does this practically apply, ache and all this stuff? I'm going to give a practical example that comes right out of Leviticus 27, where we are introduced to this concept of devoted things. We're going to go right to the source here where this concept is first introduced. In verse 28 of Leviticus 27, here's what we read. Everything so devoted is most holy to the Lord. So this whole section is about devoted things. In light of that, look at what is discussed just two verses later. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Leviticus 27, verse 30. Very interesting here. In the midst of this discussion about devoted things belonging to the Lord, God himself declares that a tithe of everything we earn belongs to him. The word tithe literally means 10%. That's what it means, 10%. Now notice, very important, God is not just saying, hey, this is a cool suggestion. Tithing is a really cool suggestion. That's not what he's saying. God is saying, 10% of everything you earn belongs to me. It's mine. It is devoted to me. Now this is why Later on in Malachi chapter 3, this is why when God confronts his people about not tithing to him, he confronts them about it. Remember what he says to them? You are robbing me. You're robbing me. 
The only, way, the only way a person robs from another person is by taking something that belongs to that other person. God, God is saying the tithe, 10% of what you earn, it belongs to me. So when you don't give a tithe to me, you are taking something that belongs to me and you're using it for yourself. That's just one example of how we are just like Achan, aren't we? We, we take devoted things and we use them for ourselves. Rather than trusting God to provide, we choose to spend our money on what we want. And I know, I know, I, I know this probably sounds like, you know, Alan's just given his tithing spiel or whatever. I'm, I'm going to tell you something straight up here. I had no idea I was going to be talking about tithing when I started working on this message. No idea wasn't one, oh yeah, let's, let's talk about tithing in that message. That'd be really good. No idea. I wasn't planning on saying anything about money or tithing. And, and then I started studying the passage. And I started looking at this idea of devoted things. And I was looking back at Leviticus and I started to realize, wow, that's, that's a practical example of what's being talked about here. I realized God himself uses this language, devoted things, in the context of tithing. This is not about me trying to sneak in some discussion about tithing. This is God's word speaking to us about something that is very important to him. When we take for ourselves things that belong to him, it is an affront to his holiness. And the reason we do this is the same reason as Achan. We don't really trust God. We don't really trust God. We don't really believe that everything is his. And when we have God, we have everything we need. We don't really believe that. See, tithing is just one example of this. It's one specific way God himself urges us to trust him with devoted things. When we tithe 10% of our income to God, it is a tangible way to remember that he owns it all. He owns it all. By putting him first in this way, we are declaring our trust in him that he is enough. Now, in the New Testament, we realize that tithing is just a starting point. I mean, tithing is just a starting point. It's not the, the be-all and end-all of giving. is the ultimate goal. Oh, yeah, I finally reached 10%, I'm done. You know, it's not about that. There is incredible joy in discovering a life of generosity that moves, well, moves us well beyond 10%. But the fact that, that many of us struggle to even give God 10% is an indicator that we are just like Achan. We find all sorts of reasons to keep for ourselves what is devoted to God. And let's be honest, when we do that, we bring trouble into our lives. We spend more than we make, we buy more than we can afford, we rack up credit card debt, we lose sleep because we can't make payments, we fight with our spouse over spending, it brings trouble into our lives when we forget this foundational heart principle that everything is God's. And when I have God, I have everything I need. 
When we embrace this principle given to us in this story of of Jericho, it releases incredible joy and freedom and peace and generosity into our lives. It is awesome. It helps us be strong and courageous because we are now living our lives with a wholehearted trust in God in the area of money and possessions. It's huge, huge. Throughout Scripture, God reinforces over and over again this critical theme. It's not just here in Joshua 7. I mean, it's throughout Scripture. He reinforces this eternal principle. He wants us to live with open hands rather than trying to claim as our own what belongs to him. Now, the question is, how? How do we do this when our hearts are like Achan? How do we change this Achan heart? That was a joke. Come on, come on, come on. That was funny. It was bad, but it was funny, okay? How do we change our aching heart, okay? That's the question here. Here's how. Here's how we change our aching heart. By looking at this story through the lens of the cross. Achan received what he deserved and what we all deserve. Honestly, it's what we all deserve for our sinful rebellion, for our attempts at taking for ourselves what belongs to a holy God. We deserve spiritual death. We deserve a separation from God's presence. God's wrath is directed towards us for our sin. But God loved us so much that he did something about this. He couldn't ignore our sin So instead, what he did was absolutely unthinkable. He sent someone to pay for our sin. And this someone, like Achan, was led outside the city and crushed as a punishment for sin. But in this person's case, the punishment was undeserved. He, Jesus, was innocent. He was not guilty of any sin, but he took upon himself our punishment. While hanging on the cross, Jesus Jesus experienced God's wrath against our sin. And in his death, God's holy judgment towards sin was satisfied. It was paid in full. So while Achan brought trouble and destruction upon God's people, Jesus brought life and forgiveness. Jesus gave his life so that we might have life. I mean, follow me here. If the Bible just stopped with the Old Testament and we were looking at the story of Achan, we would conclude, boy, we better not do that or else. Our obedience would be motivated by fear. But, we, what, but when we include the New Testament, suddenly our entire perspective changes. We see this God who, though holy, was willing to give his son for us to take the punishment we should have paid. When that kind of love penetrates our hearts, we want to obey this God. We want to live with open hands, trusting that God is enough for us. You see, the way to change an aching heart is to experience more and more of the heart of Jesus. When his extravagant love is filling our hearts, a whole new way of living is open before us. A life of joyful trust rather than clenched 
fists. It's a whole new way open before us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? I know you've been speaking to our hearts. Would you continue to speak? And let's just kind of sit in this for a moment here. Where is our heart like Achan? Where we have seen, we have coveted, and we, we want that for ourselves. Our life, we have concluded, our life is not complete. God's not enough. We need God plus that. Where are we not living according to this principle that everything is his? And when I have God, I have everything I need. Father, I just want to pray for us in the midst of this challenge from your word. God, we know we're just like Achan. We are just like Achan. We take things that are to be devoted to you and we spend them on ourselves. We take them for ourselves and we're sorry. We're sorry. Lord, I pray for those here who are just, this whole idea of tithing, this, it's really simple. It's right there in the Old Testament in terms of very clear what you're saying. And, and maybe some of us here are struggling even at that level, just 10% belonging to you. We've not lived according to that. Lord, would you forgive us for not trusting you, for taking things that are devoted to you and spending them on ourselves, taking them for ourselves, and ultimately not trusting you that you're enough. Thank you for this invitation, Lord, to step into a life of trust. And so I pray for those, Lord, that you're speaking to them about this, this whole devoted thing, tithing thing, Lord, that being devoted to you. I pray you would give them the courage to trust you in that way. It's hard. If it was easy, it wouldn't make it the impact it does. It's hard, and you know that. This is a foundational principle you established in, in Jericho. It's one you want to establish in our hearts that everything belongs to you. So I pray, I pray for each one of us here at whatever level we're struggling with this, that you would help us grow in our understanding of this incredible truth. Everything belongs to you. And when we have you, we have everything we need. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. What an amazing God you are. What an amazing Savior you are. You gave. You gave your life. You became like Achan for us. It's amazing. We didn't deserve it, but you gave your life for us. In fact, there may be some of you here, and I just want to give an invitation. There may be some of you here, and, and what you heard just a moment ago, that's the essence of the good news. That's the essence of what God wants us to understand. We're all like Achan. We are all sin, sinners. We deserve death, separation from God. We deserve that. 
And there's nothing we could do. God's holy, we're not. There's nothing we could do to get to God. But you know what? He did something for us. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you and for me because he didn't want to be separated from you or me. And all he asks, he doesn't say, hey, try hard to be a good person. No, what he says is, I need you to trust my son, the work that my son has done. Trust that. Receive that work. And when you do that, your sins are forgiven and you enter into this love relationship with God forever. That's his invitation to you tonight. That's his invitation to us today. So there may be some of you and you're thinking, I want that. I want that relationship with God where my sins have been forgiven and I'm in a a love relationship with him. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You can pray along with me in the silence of your heart. And in this prayer, all we're doing is admitting our sin and we're placing our trust in Jesus. So here we go. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge you are holy. And I'm not. I'm just like Achan. Deserving of your judgment. Separated from you but I don't want to be separated. I believe Jesus, your son, came to earth and you, Jesus, died on the cross in my place. You took the penalty I should have paid. I deserve to pay. You took the hit for me. Unbelievable. Your generosity towards me. And I choose right now to place my trust in you, Jesus. I bring to you my faults and my fears and my failures and my sins, my coveting, all of that. I bring it all to you and I place it on your shoulders, Lord Jesus. I receive you. I welcome you into my heart and life. Come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Forgive my sin, all of it, past, present, and future. All of my sin forgiven. Change me from the inside out. Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Help them grow in this incredible relationship that we have because of your son, Jesus. So I pray for all of us to grow, to have our heart grow more and more filled with your love, Jesus. This is for all of us here so that our hearts would be less and less like Achan and more and more like yours, a generous heart like yours. So do that work in us, we pray. We have the privilege of responding to the truth of the word in worship. So why don't we, why don't we stand as the worship team leads us? Lord Jesus, set us free to worship you. Set us free to worship you. We love you. We love you, God.